0: He is the Lord of all and we worship Him today. Amen? Amen. And now let's take our Bibles, let's open them to the book of Genesis. Turn there if you would please. Genesis. And we're going to be making a journey through Genesis. So I hope you have your Bible. If you don't have your Bible, then as I tell you sometimes, you're left to your own devices, okay? But we'll... We'll also be sharing a number of passages on the screen because we are going to make a journey today about the promise, the promise of the Son, Genesis chapter 3. And now as you turn there, I want, do want to thank you for the recognition you gave to me and Susan, we're so grateful and uh, the gifts uh, are deeply appreciated and uh, I have no reason not to preach better sermons now <laughs> Best like that thank you so much we love you so much so grateful to be a part of this fellowship you know it's not just the place we serve truly this is our family I want you to know that you are our family we're very grateful how many of you would say uh, you struggle with waiting. Anybody would say you just struggle with waiting? Okay, remember in church now. Okay, let's get honest here. Okay, I'd have to agree with a number of you. I'm not uh, very good at waiting. I'm not a good waiter. That's the reason Susan has assigned me to the dishwashing crew. She found out I'm not a good waiter. But you know, all waiting is not the same, is it? There's different kinds of waiting. Uh, there's waiting for a stoplight <laughs> to turn green. I heard the sigh from somebody. Then all right. There's waiting in a dentist office when you're scheduled for a root canal. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's waiting <laughs> in the mall. <laughs> waiting in the mall. Cobwebs growing off of you, you know. But there's different kind of waiting. Waiting for Christmas, right? And waiting for a child to be born, a grandchild to be born. And in many ways, that's what Christmas is about. It's about waiting, waiting That's what reason we call this season Advent. Advent. The Advent has the idea of waiting. But a little bit more than waiting, Advent has the idea, we could say, of awaiting. Awaiting. Awaiting an arrival. Waiting of the fulfillment of a promise that has been made. And that's the focus that the Lord led me to for our our Advent season this year. We began this last week, carry it through our Christmas Eve services and that is to focus on the promise, the promise, the promise. And today I want us to focus on the promise in a son, the promise in a son. Now what my desire is in this series is to Take us on the journey from the very first promise in the Bible of one who is coming. And follow follow the thread of that promise through the Old Testament until it comes to fullness that night in Bethlehem. Now last week we looked at Genesis chapter 3, you remember, verse 15... ...which is the first promise in the Bible. It is the gospel promise. Let's look at it once again. The Lord is speaking, he's speaking to the serpent. And he says in verse 15, I will put enmity between you and the woman... ...between your offspring and her offspring... ...talking about this spiritual warfare which will exist. But then notice he speaks of an offspring. And then narrows it to one. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This is the first mention, the first hint of the gospel... That all that has happened through the curse of sin is going to be overcome by one who is coming of the woman. Hint of a miraculous birth that we, of course, know now as the virgin birth. But one is coming who will be a wounded warrior. He will conquer the serpent and he will be wounded in doing that. And of course we saw last week and we see in our Bibles that the reality of that is in Jesus Christ who on the cross was wounded. His heel was bruised but he crushed the devil (laughs) and he conquered sin, overcame the curse. And we celebrate that at Christmas. We celebrate that Jesus came. But we also celebrate why he came and what he accomplished. But now what I'd like us to do is just follow this promise. We start here in Genesis chapter 3. And after you begin to read your Bibles and the passages that are coming. You see that the world was a murderous world from the very beginning. As a matter of fact, the first child born came. Rather than being the deliverer, actually turned out to be a murderer. Murderer of his own brother, Abel. And then we are told the stories. We look in chapter four of this murderous world until you read about a man named Lamech who, who sings the first recorded song in the Bible. It doesn't come across in our English, but it's a song, and it's a song of murder, a song celebrating murder first song of the Bible, but in that murderous world, another child is born to Adam and Eve. His name is Seth. Look at chapter 4, if you will, verse 25 of Genesis, and Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for another offspring instead of Abel. For Cain killed him. To Seth also was born a son. And he called his name Enosh. And at that time people began to call upon the name of the Lord. Now notice here, in the midst of what was already a murderous world, there was this son who was born. Appointed and connected to him is a people who begin to identify themselves with God. Calling upon the name of the Lord or as it can be translated, they called themselves by the name of the Lord. In a murderous world, they identified themselves with God. We keep following this promise. The world becomes totally corrupted, doesn't it? So totally corrupted that it grieves the heart of God that He even created man. But there in His grace was one who found His favor. We know Him, of course, as whom? Noah. Noah obtained favor. In the eyes of the Lord. Grace in the eyes of the Lord. And then we read that in this terrible, murderous world. Which God wiped away with a flood. Yet he did not leave himself without a witness. Without a family. The family of Noah. Was saved through that terrible flood. And they were saved by an ark. That kept them safe. After the flood was over, we turn to Genesis chapter 9. We read again of still sin that is in mankind, sin that's in the family of Noah. But then there is a promise. This promise continues. Noah speaks a word of blessing. He's a prophet of God. He speaks the word of blessing. And here's what Noah says in Genesis chapter 9, verse 26. He also said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth and let him dwell in the tents of Shem, and let Canaan Be his servant. Now, notice God, through his servant Noah, makes a blessing on a particular family, the family of Shem. We hear of the word Semitic. Semitic goes back to this word, Shem. A promise that there is a blessing coming upon the family of Shem and that Japheth will will be wrapped, so to speak, under his wings, but there's a curse that comes upon Canaan, and we're told that Shem will rule over Canaan. Now that's important because Canaan here is not just a country or region, it is a person. That God has brought his judgment upon. Now the waiting continues. We're talking about hundreds of years here. Hundreds and hundreds of years passing. There's the promise. The promise that was given in the garden. That promise comes down to the family of Seth. Through Noah. To the family of Shem. And finally we come to... Genesis chapter 12 and there is a promise that comes to a family, it comes to a couple, a childless couple and the promise is a promise of a special son that will be born to them and this special son ...will be part of God's blessing on the whole earth. Now, you have your Bibles. Let's just read the story. The story of this special son. And we're going to look at it in just these three sections. And we're just going to read the Bible. Sometimes the best thing you can do in preaching the Bible... ...just read it. (laughs) That would be so helpful to some churches, wouldn't it? If somebody just read the Bible... We're going to share the story. It's a story in three acts. The son is promised. This special son is promised. This special son is born and then this special son is delivered. Now notice the son is promised. Look at chapter 12 and let's read. And I'll make some comments. Verses 1 through 8. The promise comes down to a man by the name of Abram. He has lived in the Ur of the Chaldees with his father Terah. They moved to the area of modern-day Syria called Haran. And then God speaks to Abram in the land of Syria. And here's what he says. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred... And your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great. So that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you I will curse. And you, all the families of the earth, shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had commanded him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son. All their possessions that they had gathered. And the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan. Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Moreh. And the time at that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Now do you remember? Descendant of Shem is going to move and be over the Canaanites. Here we have God calling Abraham by His grace. And he, he makes promise after promise to him. Not that Abraham Abram des, des, deserved them. But in his grace, God makes the promise. What does he promise him? Do you notice? He promised him a land. This land is to be yours. He promised him a nation. A nation shall rise from you. And he promised him a name. That your name shall be great. And he promised to make him a blessing to the whole world. This is the promise. And Abram left his family. Came down through Syria. Came down that king's highway as it was called. And passed through the gates of the king's highway into Canaan. Several years ago, with a group in Israel, I was blessed to walk on that king's highway. And those same gates that were there when Abram came through are still there. (laughs) That will give you some chills up your spine, I'll tell you. He came from the north and entered the land. And he was a stranger and a pilgrim, but God says it's already yours. Now, he came to the promised land and God said he would give the land to him and his offspring. Now, there's a challenge here. What's the challenge? He's 75 years of age. His wife is 65. They do not have children at all. And the promise is being made of offspring and a nation. But Abraham believed God. He moved into the land. He settled at a place called Bethel, the house of God. And he built there an altar and he pitched his tent. And for the rest of his life, though he's lord of the whole region, he's the man of the tent and the altar because he's looking for a city who has foundations that's builder and maker is God. He's the man of the tent and the altar, worshiping and moving when God tells him to move. Now he journeys south all the way down to the Negev. And then though we see that Abram, Abraham, he's not perfect. He, he has a lapse of faith because a terrible, terrible famine comes to the land. And rather than stay where he's been told to stay, he takes Sarai and the family, and they, they move, all the clan moves down into Egypt. That was the plan. That plan didn't work out so good. Abraham eventually comes back, as God brings him back out of Egypt, back to Bethel. Back to the place where he was at the first, the Bible says. Back to the place where he built the altar. He comes back. And God's blessing. Over the years comes upon him. So much blessing. So that he and his nephew Lot. Can no longer live together. Their, their, their herds are so immense. That the land will not even provide. And so. Abram says. We must separate. Now you choose. Lot chose the. The well-watered valley of the Jordan, like paradise. City of Sodom, Gomorrah. He moved his family there. It was a good place to raise cattle. Terrible place to raise children. So he moved, and Abraham. Settled in Canaan, the land of Canaan. And once again, God spoke to him. And we read about this in chapter 13. Chapter 13, God speaks to him. Look, if you would, at verse 14. The Lord God said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes... Look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. For the land that you see, I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth. So that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring will also be able to be counted. Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land. For I give it to you. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the Oaks of Mamre, which are Hebron. And he built there an altar to God. Now notice, Lot is gone for the blessings of what this lush land can provide and God ...comes to Abram and says, I will give you blessings that this world has no knowledge of. Greater blessings than the world's treasures. He says literally, this land, I give it to you. This promised land, I give it to you. And I give it to your offspring forever. He's still without children... But he still has faith, and he builds an altar to his God and worships. Well, the years pass, and the struggle of belief, of course, continues. Turn to Genesis chapter 15, if you would. We follow Abram, we follow this promise of, from God. Abram has been involved in the rescue of Lot. He's shown himself to be a great and mighty commander. He's just been blessed by Melchizedek, that priest king of Jerusalem. He comes back to his home area and then we read this. Chapter 15, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. ...will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son... ...shall be your heir. He brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven... ...and number the stars... ...if you are able to number them. And then he said, So... ...shall your offspring be. You have no child. And this servant is your heir. But I promise you... ...your offspring will be like the stars of heaven in number. And then what an incredible statement. Verse 6. And he, Abram, believed the Lord... ...and he, God... Counted it to him as righteousness. What is this? The first understanding clearly spra- expressed in the Bible. Salvation by faith. Justification by faith. That's the only way anyone has ever been saved. Abram believed God and his faith was counted as righteousness. He believed what God said about A son, and his belief was counted to him as righteousness. Now, Abram confirms his faith, but the Lord now is going to confirm his promise with a covenant. God says, I myself am going to make a covenant. You won't have anything to do with this covenant. This is a unilateral covenant I'm going to make with you, Abram. And here's the covenant. Chapter 15, verse 12. And as the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And he beheld a dreadful and a great darkness. Behold, a dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there. They will be afflicted for four hundred years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve. And afterward they shall come out with great possession. And as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down as it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. Usually two people would walk between the sacrifice to confirm a covenant. But God put a deep darkness upon Abram. And in a vision, God himself walks through the pieces of the covenant. Meaning he's making this covenant himself. On the day that the Lord made a covenant with Abram. This is verse 18. Saying, to your offspring I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river Euphrates. Now notice, this is a covenant God made with Abram. Notice some things about this covenant. It's a unilateral covenant. God made the covenant. Totally binding himself to the covenant pledge he was making with Abram. It's an unconditional covenant. Your people will go into slavery. They will be in bondage for 400 years. But I will not forget my covenant. I will bring them back to this land. And it is an unambiguous covenant. uh, covenant. He gave this covenant. Land to the descendants of Abraham. He says this land is yours. This is an eternal covenant that he's making. An everlasting covenant. He's the God who cannot lie, right? And he's promising descendants in the multitudes. And he's making the promise to a man who's getting older and older and older... And he has no heir. Well, the years continue to pass. The promise of an heir continues. The promise of the nation continues. But there's no son. No son has been born. And so the pressure mounts. You can imagine the pressure that's mounting in this family. And the pressure is mounting on Sarah. Sarai, as she's called here. And so she finally, in, in the pressure, she comes up with her own plan. And her own plan is for there to be a surrogate mother. She, she will have a child through another, a child through her, her servant, Hagar, the Egyptian. And, and she continues and continues to speak to Abram about this. And finally he agrees. And so a child is born, Ishmael is born God promises to bless Ishmael. He miraculously saves Hagar and her son, Ishmael. He promises to bless them. But he says, the promise I've made will not come through Ishmael. I made a promise that you and Sarai would have the child. Thirteen years pass. 13 years the son is promised and then the son finally (laughs) arrives. And so notice chapter 17, the son is born. Here's the second act, the son is born, chapter 17, God renews the covenant. After 13 years God renews the covenant that he's made with Abram and God in renewing the covenant renames Abram. (laughs) He renames him. What a a story it is. Chapter 17, look at verse 1. When Abram was 99 years old. Now he's been in the land for 24 years. 24 years waiting for that promised child. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be the father, a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but you shall be called Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. Abra Abra is father. Now, Abraham is nations, father of nations, many nations. God goes on, verse 6, I will make you exceedingly fruitful. I will make you into nations and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. It is an everlasting covenant. This is not a covenant that ended with the Old Testament. This is an everlasting covenant that God is making. An everlasting covenant to be God to you and your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojourning. All the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession. And I will be their God. (laughs) Abraham now, a father of nations. Kings now, we are told, will come from him. And this is an everlasting covenant. Not a temporary covenant. And it's an everlasting possession that he is giving to his descendants. The Lord speaks of his offspring, but Abraham is now how old? 99 years old. God says, Well, while I'm changing names, I'll change Sarah's name too. Sarai's name too. Look at chapter 17, verse 15. And God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall Not call her Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her. I will give you a son by her. I will bless her and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Notice he changes her name to Sarah, which means princess. She's to be a mother of these kings that will come from her. God changes Sarah's Sarai's name to Sarah and then God names the baby. God names the baby. Why does he name the baby verse 9 verse 17 because of what the father did. Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. God said, No. But Sarah, your wife, shall bear a son, and you will call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. God names the baby, calls him Isaac. Why? Because Isaac means what? Laughter. (laughs) Okay, Papa, you're laughing at my promise. That's just what we'll name the baby. That's just what we'll name the baby. This covenant is going to come through a child who will come through a miraculous birth. The promise is going to come through a miraculous birth, an amazing birth. And we read about that in chapter 21. Turn to chapter 21. We're just following the story of the promise here. And as he said, the Lord, chapter 21, verse 1. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived And bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him. Whom Sarah bore him Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old as God had commanded. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah now... She starts laughing. God has made laughter for me. Everyone starts laughing. You get the picture here? Who wouldn't laugh? God has turned the nursing home into a nursery. (laughs) What? Everybody's laughing. This is ridiculous. It's amazing. God... Changed those tears of sorrow. 25 years of waiting. He turned them into tears of joy and laughter. But now I want you to notice this. In a few years, this saga of the son. The son is born. Isaac, the promised one. The one through whom all the blessings will come. He will be the source of a, an event that will be excruciating in its painfulness. It will require the deepest faith, and it's going to produce the greatest joy. Because this son that was promised and this son that is born is to be a son that is delivered. But notice how that deliverance comes. I want you to turn to chapter 22. Truly, I'm just going to read these verses as we approach communion. Because my friend, if you listen carefully, this story will prepare your heart for communion. This is the gospel according to Genesis. This is the Calvary of the Old Testament. The Father and His Son and a sacrifice, an amazing return to life. And this is how the blessing will come to the world. How is the blessing going to come to all the world? Not just the physical descendants of Abraham, but to all who have the faith of Abraham. How will the blessing of Abraham come not just to the Jewish people, but all the peoples of the earth? How will it happen? Here's how it will happen. Genesis 22. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. And he said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love. Could God have made it any more difficult? Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah. That's the land around Jerusalem. Go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. And Abraham rose early in the morning and he saddled his donkey and he took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering. And rose, and he went to the place of which God had told him. And on the third day, imagine, can you imagine the pain in this man's heart? Three days. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes, and he saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and he laid it on the back of his son Isaac. Isaac here is not just a little boy. He's probably a young teenager by now. Old enough to carry the wood up the hill on his back. And he took his hand in his hand the fire and the knife and they went up together. Now do you see the picture? The father and the son going up the hill together. The father who will carry out the sacrifice and the son who's carrying the wood on his back cross is on his back. And then Isaac asked the question that his father had dreaded so long. My father, hear my son. Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went up together. And when they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there, he laid the wood in altar in order, and he bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Now again, remember, Abraham here is about 112, maybe 114. His son is a young teenager. We marvel at the faith of Abraham, but how about the submission of Isaac, who lets himself be bound and crawls up on that altar willingly in confidence of his father's wisdom? And Abraham reached out his knife. His hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called from heaven. Abraham, Abraham. He said, here I am. Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God. Seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. This is the Lord speaking. As the angel of the Lord. And now this. And Abraham lifted up his eyes. And he looked. And behold behind him was a ram. Caught in a thicket by his horns. A ram crowned with thorns. And he took the ram that was crowned with those thorns. And he offered it up. As a burnt offering in the place of his son. And so Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it's been said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And now God speaks again, and the angel Lord called to Abraham a second time, saying, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son. I will surely bless you. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gates of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you... Have obeyed my voice. All the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. Why? Because there's an offspring coming. There is one coming. Who will, with his father, walk up, stagger up the hill. With the altar of wood on his back. And God, in his great love, who spared Abraham's son, will not spare his own son. And the son will willingly give himself. Why? Lifted up on that altar. What did Jesus say? If I be lifted up, I will what? Draw all people to me. The blessing to the earth. Nations. Abraham, a father of nations. Not just a nation. A father of nations. He's the father of all who have faith in God through Jesus. And now, we can take communion, right? And praise God that he spared not his own Son. My friend, let's bow our heads just for a moment as we prepare to receive communion. Here are two things that I think we need to focus on. Please listen carefully. God spared not his own son for you. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. Have you believed God? Have you believed the gospel of his son Jesus Christ? Have you believed? Oh friend. What this communion represents is that you have received by faith, for your salvation, the death of Christ, His blood, His body, for you. Right now, friend, before you receive this communion, please receive Christ. Christ is not in the communion. Christ. Is seated at the right hand of the Father. But he comes to the heart of all who believe. And then. This is on my heart. Some here this morning. You need to go back to Bethel. You've got your plan. Your idea. It's taken you away from God's presence. Maybe you've been pressured. Maybe it's been a hard season, but you have making some decisions that are after the world's way of thinking and value. That's not where you're to be. You're to be in the will of God. You can go back to Bethel right now. Come back to the altar of submission to worship your God. And you will not move until your Father says go. You will abide with Him. When He leads you will follow. But you will not devise your own plan. But friend, you've got to come back to Bethel. You've got to come back to the Father. And that's why communion is given to us for one reason. So that we can return. Jesus paid it all, did he not? <laughs> How grateful we are. Let's sing and then we'll receive our time in communion.